Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. We have quite a few things to talk about today. I know going forward during the week, we're going to have the fellas in the neighborhood back on. And Jack, rock and roll race car Jack, also known as Jack the Stiletto Delecto, uh, is going to be bringing on a friend of his uh, who lived in South America and had lived through the communist takeover of his country and what he's battling. Uh, and that young man will be with us uh, in a very soon future episode. So I think it would be very interesting to hear someone who lived through what's going on in America right now as they're trying to turn us into the next uh, socialist uh, landmark of what they think is, is great. So our country, that's what's going on with our country. President Biden visited, did a secret visit to the Ukraine. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is it something that doesn't matter? Well, let's think about it. When we have a president of the United States who goes to a war zone, like other presidents have done during wartime, go to go visit our troops, and they don't tell anybody. There's no advance notice of, of the fact that the president's going to show up in this war zone because you don't want to endanger the president, no matter who the president is. It's still the American president, no matter whether you like him or not. So we've had presidents in the past show up in war zones to go visit the troops and thank them for what they're doing. I think that's a wonderful thing. In this instance with Biden, I want to say it was probably a good thing that he went to Ukraine to support um, the Ukrainian people in their war against Russia. But at the same time, we have to ask the bigger question is, what is the purpose of supporting Ukraine? There's an emotional element to this, of course. The emotional side is we see the Russians, who are uh, in many instances portrayed and seen as uh, a negative cipher, uh, an Axis kind of a power, an evil kind of a place, because of what they do. They take over other countries. They attack. You know, Putin has proved himself to be a vicious killer. And when we see people of Ukraine who are going about their business, living however, you know, whatever government they form, a government they had, they seem to be fairly happy with what they're doing. And then to have Putin come in and decide to attack them and take over their country, kill thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent civilians... That's a horrible thing. And of course, you want to support that. That's the emotional side. You want to support the Ukrainian people if, to repel these evil Russians uh, and what they're doing. But at what cost do we in America do that? Uh, right now, it's costed us billions and billions of United States dollars. Uh, okay, and if we have to spend money to do something, then if it's for security purposes, of course, then we do that. But how is this an American interest, other than the emotional side, to um, continue to spend billions of dollars to prop up uh, Vladimir, uh, Mr. Zelensky's uh, uh, regime in the Ukraine? Now, they were considered the most corrupt government prior to the Russian attack. And we were thinking about sanctioning them and doing stuff different. But now, of course, they're, they're, they've taken on the role of victim. And the people, I think it's terrible. The poor people are going through this. They don't deserve any of this. 
for the Russians and Putin specifically to think he can just roll in there and take over this country is is dangerous in many ways. It brings warfare back to the European theater and it potentially can lead to a bigger conflict. And that is what I think we have to kind of weigh out here. So the argument that I hear from a lot of people is that we really shouldn't be in Ukraine. We shouldn't be spending money. We shouldn't be propping them up because isn't that really supporting them in the war against Russia? Isn't this like a proxy war like we used to have back in the day uh, where we would support one side, the Soviet Union supported another, and we gave them weapons and guns and money and they fought against each other. But really, they were fighting the battle for the two superpowers. We were fighting without actually getting into a hot nuclear war so we didn't have to kill each other. Is that what's happening here? Well, I understand that argument from some people who say we should not be there. This is unfortunate. It's a terrible thing, but it's not our battle to fight. Okay, that's that's a reasonable thing to say. The other side of that is, and I think I heard uh, Mr. Pompeo saying this the other day, that the United States has to be involved here because if the Russians take Ukraine and they've taken Georgia, and now they take Moldova, and they take it, eventually they're going to roll into Poland because it's it's understood that Putin's ultimate plan is to reconstitute the Soviet Union with him at the head of it. Now, that may or may not be true. Uh, that could be his plan. I don't know. He's, he's, he's not a young person anymore. You know, but these kind of evil people, they live a long time, don't they? They don't just, you know, you hear about really good, decent people in their 50s and 60s, having a heart attack and dying. But you never hear about these these terrible people having a heart attack. Like, you wake up tomorrow, guess what? Uh, the guy in North Korea, Kim Jong-un, he had a heart attack. He's dead. Putin died of a, a massive heart attack. Uh, fell down the stairs and broke his head. You never hear about those kind of things. These evil people seem to live forever and ever and ever. So, will a war in Europe drag us all into a much, much bigger conflict? And that's, I think that's the two questions. There's the emotional side of supporting the Ukrainian people and their president to kick the Russians back out of their country because that's, that's the right thing to do. The Russians shouldn't be there. They shouldn't have done what they did. And we should try and help. I think I do see, I get that point, right. But why should the United States be the bankroll, be the checkbook for this whole thing? Europe is the ones who really have a lot to worry about here. Right? Europe has a lot to worry. If this rolls into a bigger war, they're the ones who are going to have their cities bombed and blown up and destroyed like it's happened twice already right? in the last couple hundred years here. Uh, the United States may be dragged in. We may get bombed with modern nuclear weapons. We might get bombed with tactical weapons. We might get bombed with uh, traditional weapons in some of our cities if this were to happen. Uh, unlike in, in times past when the ocean was an absolute blanket of safety for us, it's, it's not so much anymore. So in that way, is that in America's interest, as Mr. Pompeo seems to think, that we have to be involved here to stop the Russians? So let's go back to the first choice, the emotional choice to help them. Our president and many other people seem to think it's an open checkbook. We're just going to keep funneling money to the Ukrainians, maybe uh, maybe some weapons, slow with the weapons, not with the weapons. The Europeans might give some money. They're giving some money, not enough money, some weapons. Not, it's, it's a big hodgepodge here. 
And the mess seems to fall to the United States yet again, that we have to be the people who cough up the money. Now, could we use that money somewhere else in the United States? Oh, I don't know. Let's think. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe where the train wreck is. Maybe in Ohio, maybe cleaning up that, that toxic dump that has become that entire area because of that train wreck. And people say, oh, well, that's up to the company that did it. In the meantime, this is a place where government has a place. This is people's lives, their livelihoods, their property. I would say that money we're handing over to Ukraine, we should cut back on that and we should go to Ohio and we should take care of those people there, buy out their farms if they can't live there anymore. Help them move to a place where they can. Clean that entire mess up immediately. That should be a priority number one. Which brings me to one of the things on my pages of outrages here. Where is Pete? Where's Pete Buttigieg, the, uh, the Secretary of Transportation? Oh, he finally now says he's going to go there. Uh, several weeks and, and a few dollars late. But he's going to go there. So the Ukraine situation, the emotional side of it says, maybe we have to set a limit on what we are willing to do. Is it $200 billion, $300 billion, $800 billion? Is it a trillion dollars we're going to give to fight a proxy war against the Russians? Or do we demand our European friends cough up big time? Do we give the Ukrainian uh, government the military hardware that they need to fight the Russians and give it to them? Put it on ships, load it up and get it over there if we're going to do it. So that they can fight, because every day hospitals are being hit, apartment buildings are being hit, children are being killed, women are being killed, innocent civilians. So if our emotional connection to this is, okay, it's not going to go any further than Ukraine, and we don't want to see the people of Ukraine subjugated, we don't want to see them, uh, their lives destroyed, and, and they're under the, the thumb of a, of a Soviet-like government out of Russia... Uh, then just money is not the answer because we, we can't even keep track of where all that money goes. How about spending that money on American companies to build the material and then ship the material if we're going to give it to them? There's a thought. Ship the actual material that they need. Buy it from around the world uh, and give it to them. If they need tanks, I'm sure there's lots of, lots of countries that use American tanks that are older, could be refurbished. Buy them off of them and then ship those tanks over. Then they can buy new ones from American manufacturers. Right? So this way we have a circle. The money circles back into the United States while still helping the, uh, the Ukrainian government. So I understand that, that tug, that emotional tug to help them. I feel it. Uh, and if we could do something to get the Russians out, yes. But I think the question has to be how much are we willing to spend when we need that money here for our country, you know, here we are trying to, to do all of this, spend all this money to protect and secure the borders of U Ukraine when we have millions of people streaming over our southern and northern borders now into our country, right? We're not controlling it. It's, it's causing havoc on the people's lives who are trying to get here. There's uh, fentanyl coming, pouring in. That's killing a hundred and something thousand of our people every single year. We do nothing about it. We look the other way. We pretend because that serves a political purpose to let everybody in. Couldn't we use that money here? Fix up our border, fix up our uh, immigration policy, right? You know, the, the wall with the great big door in it that Trump talked about. 
because there has to be a door. We do need to have people come in and do do things to, to help our country. So we let them in. You have a, a system for working. I, I'm all for that. And we have a system for people to become citizens legally from all over the world. So I find that emotional question something that has to be has to be asked and answered. Now, because of the corruption of our media, we don't actually have that conversation. Nobody has that conversation. We just simply, it, it's been weeks and we, it's been a year. We just had the anniversary. It's been a year since the invasion. Now, the good side there is that the Russians haven't gone in in a week and wiped them out and taken over. Uh, the Ukrainian people have shown that they are very strong. They're resilient. They don't want to be destroyed. And I think that is something to be applauded and supported. Uh, but how far do we go? So that's the emotional question. So was it good that Biden went there? I think it was good that he went there. Uh, I think he's showing uh, the rest of the world that the United States will stand with people who, who are for freedom and liberty, even if that freedom and liberty in Ukraine is actually not exactly what we have here in America. What he's showing the rest of the world is that we're willing to stand up. And like a stop clock is right twice a day. Uh, you got to give people credit when they do the right thing. I think it was... Uh, a good thing for him to go there, and I think it was brave for him to go there as the president, because you know if they could get him, they would get him, you know. Uh, lots of different people would try and get him. So I think it was brave that he did it, and I applaud the fact that the president went. Okay, so there you go. Stop clock is right twice a day. When I don't agree with him, I'll tell you that. When I do think what he did was a good gesture, uh, and, I, and I do quantify it that way. It's a good gesture to the rest of the world who, who's looking to start World War III all over the place. You can see the signs everywhere. The Chinese are itching to go into Taiwan. Uh, this Putin wants to re retake the Soviet Union. You have uh, Kim Jong-un who wants to take over the peninsula. We, ha we have things happening all over. Communism marching in South America. Uh, all these kind of things. So there, there is a lot going on here that's... That has to be dealt with sooner rather than later, because we've seen this movie before, haven't we? Where does this all end? Does this end in a good place when you let tyrants run wild, when you let uh, evil run across the planet, when you let people who want to take other people's land and their things and their people and destroy and kill innocent civilians? Does it turn out well? Uh, can anybody open a, a history book and take a look and see how these things come out? Because that'll tell you where this is going. Which leads me to the second question, the, the Pompeo, uh, Pompeo uh, kind of uh, conundrum, is that we have to stop the Russians here so that they don't proceed any further. So a couple of things we noticed that, first of all, they don't have the, seem to have the power that everyone anticipated that they would have. It's been rumored that they lost between 60,000 and 200,000 soldiers. They have a, uh, a conscription thing going on in Russia where they're taking, people are trying to leave the country so they don't get caught up in the, in the army, but they're dragging people into the army because they're going to do a big offensive, right? That's the whole idea. They, they haven't been successful. Now Putin is embarrassed. Uh, this is taking too long. So he's going to get help from the Chinese. That's what we're hearing now. The Chinese, another uh, tyrannical dictatorship, is going to support the tyrannical dictatorship in Moscow and provide them with lethal weapons, money to, to go in and, and wipe out uh, Ukraine and take it over. Now, nobody gives you something, especially in the world of tyrants, dictators, and evil people. Nobody gives you something without expecting something in return. So what would they expect in return? 
Well, I think they would expect help when they go to make their moves on places that you know they're going to make their moves. The Chinese are long-term thinkers. They plan way down the road. Uh, these balloons that everybody, oh, there's the hobby balloons are, you know, people, regular hobby balloons. But the spy balloons, we know there was one. There might have been another. There could have been other ones. What are they surveilling us for other than to map us out closely to see exactly where our stuff is? to eventually go to war with the United States. They said they want to displace us as the economic leader by 2050, not too far from now. And their goal would be to get rid of us, get us off the stage. Well, this is a reconstitution of the axis of evil, right? We see this every, every, every so many years, the axis of evil reconstitutes itself and comes after uh, especially the United States because we are the bastion of freedom and liberty even though even if America is not so much anymore as it's coming apart from people within, but it's still the bastion of freedom and liberty uh, for the world. And they have to get rid of us if they want world domination. So these evil, uh, tyrannical, communist, uh, whatever they are, fascist governments that are out there that want to take over the world and control it can't do it if the United States is still around. Because even though... uh, under the Biden administration, we've allowed our military to to fall into disarray. We haven't kept up with everyone else. We're not we're not building our military. We're not updating things like we were under Trump and, and other Republican presidents. The fact is, we still are a potent a potent military if we set our mind to it. Uh, we have the equipment. We have the people. Uh, we have the ability to display and to use power anywhere on the globe an lethal power that could pretty much take out anyone. It would have to be an all-out effort, of course, but we can still do it. So the second question, is it necessary for us to prevent World War III by doing, uh, by, by going in and helping Ukraine, providing them with money and equipment so that they can fight this proxy battle against the Russians? Is that what we need to do? So let's take the question down the road. If Putin wins in Ukraine and we don't help the Ukrainians and he takes that over and then he goes for Moldova and then he takes all these other places around Russia and he starts to reconstitute the Soviet Union. He takes, uh, he got his oil money because now people are buying the oil from him again, buying his, uh, his, funny they could be buying ours, but they're buying his. That seems pretty stupid, doesn't it? To not sell what, what we have to sell till we can have the profits. But anyway, I divest as I often do. Um, so he's going to he's gonna go there. Now he goes and he rolls into Poland. Well, he would roll into Poland, I think, if he made the determination that Europe has no stomach for a, another big-time ground war. And, of course, like all dictators, the ones in the past, he would say, I'm just taking Poland. I'm just taking Poland. And we know that many of the leaders of the world are, are not the brave leaders that we saw in the past. And they would probably uh, do what most people do in the face of a tyrant or a bully uh, or a killer like this, is that they would give in to him, to appease him. They would appease, okay, okay, you, you take back these countries and Poland and that's the end of it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Would you even like a, 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 a document to show that I'm not going to go any further? You know, have we seen this movie once before, my friends? We have. So the question really is, is that realistic? 
Is it realistic that Putin will make his move to take back things in Europe? Well, um, if he had the backing of China and they decided to split up Europe, right? And we have people uh, in Europe who, are, who don't have the stomach to fight because this is their fight. As it always is, it's their fight. And they're either not prepared, they're not ready, they don't have the funding to do it. But they've had all these years to prepare. And the other calculation he's trying to make is, will NATO actually step up? And will all of these countries commit money and blood to a major war? Or will the challenge to NATO result in NATO falling apart completely because countries are not willing to jump back into a hot, bloody war on European soil that they will just appease and appease and appease until they can draw a line and the old Soviet Union is reconstituted. So I don't know which one is correct. There are experts that say both ways. I think you have to, like all things, if you're going to do an investigation and try and come up with a hypothesis, what, what, what could happen here, you have to look at the people. You have to look at the players and understand the players involved in the game. Right? Isn't that what we do at a sports game? We compare the two teams, in, they're going to be in the Super Bowl or the World Series or the soccer championships, whatever, and they compare the individual players, their skill sets, their abilities, and their history. And they try and figure out, okay, based on those things, who do we think is going to win? Well, that's what this, this geopolitical uh, potential war conversation is really all about for the, for the participants. They're going to look back and they're going to judge the players that are involved. What would be the response of the players involved if we do A, B, or C? So there was a time when everybody knew that if you cross that line, the Americans leading NATO and, and the European countries of the West would stand up and fight. The calculus has to be, would that happen today? Would the United States lead another war into Europe, losing thousands of our young men and women, billions if not trillions of our dollars, and putting our nation at risk to fight over another European war? Is it that much in our interest? Well, these, this is part of the calculation. So I think Putin... And, uh, and Xi in, in uh, China are, are trying to look at the calculus of the players and what do they see out there right now. They see a divided America. They see a very, very weak leader. They see the American people completely uh, separated as to whether even America is a good place. Maybe it would be good if it lost and it would start over again in the, in the, the woke way. Right? So could we even put together uh, an army of millions of men and women are young people who half of them don't think America's any good, not worth saving. Would they go fight on a European battlefield yet again over the same basic kind of things that we fought over and over and over again? Uh, I don't know. And I think that's one of the calculus. I think that's why you're seeing these people make the moves they're making. So I think uh, President Xi is looking for the backing of Russia because they're on the UN Security Council, uh, if he decided to roll into Taiwan. Is the United States going to get into a hot war with China over Taiwan? 
For years, we said we would. That was our policy. Is that our policy today? It might be in words, but is it in reality? He could roll in there tomorrow and take that place. And what are we going to do? We're going to send the, the Sixth Fleet after him? We're going we're gonna to send the Air Force up? We're going to nuke him? What are we going to do? We're probably going to do nothing. And I think that's part of his calculation. Because I don't know if the American people would stomach going to war with China, potentially having uh, one of our cities here blown up, and thousands of our young men and women dying over Taiwan. I don't know that I don't know that that is part of the American process anymore. And I hope I'm wrong, but when I look around, I don't see this united, powerful America that we're all we're all rowing in the same direction. We're not, and that's that's part of the calculus of our enemies. And either we we get that and we're going with it. Hey, let them go do what they're going to do. We're not going to do anything or we're just being really stupid at this point. We don't understand the dynamics of the world. We're not paying attention to what evil does every single time it gets a chance. So I'm not sure of those two questions. Uh, the emotional part, I absolutely support Ukraine. Uh, and I want the Russians out. I don't like what they're doing. I think they're bad. I think Putin is an evil man. And if he could be taken out, he should be taken out. You know, I don't know how you would do it, but, you know, these things happen. Uh, should we Should we continue to support them no matter what? If it comes to a, a a battle, well, the other the other part of the calculus I think of this is we have to make a decision. If we make a decision that yes, we have to present prevent World War Three and the the hot war in Europe, then we should be all in. Which means we should be on a war footing right now. We should be building. We should be getting ready, and we should send troops. Right, that's the only two choices. Either we sit back and we watch it happen, or we prevent it from happening. So we're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars, and it's not presenting, preventing it. It's a slow drip that the Russians are are start are still they're still winning, even though the Ukrainians are fighting back bravely and holding them off for a whole year. With the right amount of money and the right amount of equipment from China, they can take Ukraine. So either we let it happen, or we have to step in and prevent it. And actually, it's our European friends in the West who should be stepping in. Right? Which brings up the question, where is the United Nations? Where's the blue hats? Don't they see these civilians being killed? A, na a free nation being taken over by a tyrant? How come the United Nations is not having a vote on the floor and sending in a million troops to stand on the border and say, stop, that's it? Right? We talk a big game. What the hell is the sense of having that United Nations if it can't step into a conflict like this that is potentially the start of a hot World War III? So I'm not a war guy. I don't, I don't like the idea of going to war at all. I'm simply saying the choices we have here, we spend untold amounts of money to lose and embolden our enemies, or we, we step in with our allies and we stop it. And I, I'm not one for saying we stop in, we step in and get, put boots on the ground and lose our soldiers and our equipment and everything else in Europe again for what, 50 years to go by and have them do it again? I don't know. These are the questions. These are the things that are on my mind today. And I hope you're thinking about it because it's going to come down to a decision probably sooner rather than later of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger. 
but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait. We wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, I'm back. Lieutenant Joe here. All right, so our, our opening, we talked about uh, President Biden's trip to Ukraine, secret trip, shows up there. I thought that was good. That was a good thing that he did it, that he showed that he could do it. Because whether you agree with his policies or not, whether you like him or not, he's the president of the United States. And the president showing up in a war zone secretly can get there with all the things that the president needs to go with him, travel with him, that he can sneak in there under the enemy's eyes, so to speak, and show up, I think, is a good thing. Uh, that demonstrates to the world that the United States is a player on the world stage. We haven't completely backed off. Now, whether we will actually follow through with anything that needs to be done, 
whether it's giving money or fighting or, or whatever, uh, be, by leading us the correctly in the right way, I, that's all that's to be seen. I don't know that that is actually uh, going to be a reality because I don't know that he's a very, very strong leader. So to finish up where we were, where we were before, in the calculus, I think the calculus that our enemies make of the players on the field, and I think it's a very good analogy of a sports teams, you know, who, who's going to win the Super Bowl, the World Series, whatever it is, to look at the players, their skill and all of that. And when you look at it right now, we have a weak leader in Biden. We have a corrupt Democrat party in charge of things. We have a, a broken country, completely divided. Uh, that's a weakness. And that's blood in the water, so to speak. And the sharks sense the blood in the water and they make moves. And that's why we're seeing all of this happen. Because people sense our weakness. And that's a fault of, of our elections, how we voted, how we voted for and who we voted for. The, the differences were crystal clear. I think I saw a meme on social media today it was pretty good. And it looked like a bunch of um, guy was holding up a bunch of uh, Olympic medals, right? Gold medals. And it said, uh, if, if, I, if I got a gold medal for every conspiracy theory I came up with in the last two years, that turned out to be correct, I'd be a gold medal winner like this. Meaning that all the things that people on the right, Republicans, Trump, uh, other other people who are conservative said was going to happen if we elected Biden and, and our friends on the left and we let them be in charge of things, everything that we have said would happen has happened. Now, you think that would be a crystal clear lesson to people to say, okay, uh, they had some ideas that we liked. We liked this idea of, of changing things a little bit and, and updating and getting more enlightened and treating each other better. That's the message of our friends on the left. I don't think it's the real message. I think that's the one they throw out front so people will buy into them. Uh, but the reality is, that's what I think the average Democrat feels. They want to do those things. They, they, want, they want to be this good, happy party and do good for everyone. And I think that's great. We should do good for everyone. Uh, the conservatives and Republicans don't think differently than that. It's just a matter of how we do it. How do we go about doing it? Do we do it in reality or do we do it in this, let's make everything green. Everything should be green. It'll be great. In the meantime, our, our engine of economy has fallen apart because we don't have energy. We shut down pipelines. We shut down natural gas. We shut down fracking. We shut all this stuff down that was making the energy that drove our economy and our energy and our power, right? A powerful America is America that's uh, leading in all of these sectors. Well, we made an election choice. We didn't like the orange man and the horrible things he said. So instead, we've basically uh, cut off our nose to spite our face, so to speak. And I think the analysis can be in now, two years in. We are looking at our economy was crashed. Uh, yes, even though, and we talked about this before, even though it's the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, except there's 50 million people who are not participating. So that's a fake statistic, right? You know, we got fake news, now you got a fake statistic. Um, we have uh, the stock market. Okay, it's doing really good. People are buying and selling. Good. Jobs, we're creating jobs. Actually, people are coming back to work. Um, they're not creating jobs. They're, people are coming back to work. But even that being said, more people are coming online. That's good. Uh, but when we look at this, our economy overall is crashed. Interest rates are climbing. People aren't, be, aren't able to buy the houses that they wanted to buy. So that slows the economy down. We see a weakness in America. We see our military damaged. We see unprecedented 
immigration into the country unchecked. We have no idea who's coming. We see all of the human trafficking that's going on. We see the brutality that's happening to these poor people that just want to come for a better life, and I think most of them do. We see lots and lots of people coming here from places that don't like us, though. They're streaming across the border as well. Uh, we're seeing fentanyl and drugs come pouring into our country that are killing 100,000 Americans a year. Now, that means people that are listening to me right now, probably somebody you know, if not you, somebody in your family is going to be dead before the end of the year from a fentanyl overdose because we're just letting this fentanyl come pouring into our country because we're not stopping it at the borders. And uh, the nonsense that says we have the, the greatest checkpoints in the world. They're not coming through the checkpoints. They're not stupid. They know we check there. They're coming through everywhere else, right? So our economy's in a wreck. Our military is coming apart. We're more worried about being woke than we are about, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, the purpose of the military is to break things and kill people. That's the purpose of a military. And you let your enemies know, the evil enemies of the world who want to do bad things to other people, and to you, that, hey, don't do it, because we will break things and kill people, and we will win. And that keeps people at bay, right? We don't, we're not doing that now. Now we're woke. We're more worried about equity in the military than having a fighting force that can actually win if we need them to. We have an American people that are separated uh, by ideology. Uh, we have a corrupt media who will not tell the truth about anything. We have corrupt politicians on both sides of the aisle, but mainly one particular party, who will lie. We have court systems who will lie and back that up. So we, are, we, have, a, we have a mess. We have a huge mess on our hands. And this, this is not, uh, you know, uh, gee, I didn't get my, uh, my, my, my car washed mess. This is a mess like this could take us apart. Uh, we don't have the credibility we had around the world. People like us better because they could take advantage of us. But they don't see us the way they used to see us. And all of that bodes well for you and me and our families, no matter what side of that aisle you sit on. You can be a raging liberal uh, uh, progressive, or you can be a staunch conservative uh, hard nose. All of our families are going to suffer when our country suffers like this, when policies like this are in place and makes us weak. And I think that is part of the calculus of our enemies. And I think if it continues, then I think we have some tough, tough times ahead, some very difficult times ahead, because these people that are making these moves, they don't stop. We've talked about this with crime. If you let crime run wild, criminals don't say, oh, hey, people are nicer to us now, so we don't have to rob and rape and beat and steal. They go, hey, people ain't bothering us. They ain't stopping us. We're going to rob, rape, beat and steal even more. Well, that's what tyrants do. Tyrants have an appetite for destruction, and that's usually the destruction of free and decent people, which is what we're about to see, I think, in the longer term. Whether it's America first, I don't know that that, I think you might see, but I think you might see Taiwan get taken. You might see South Korea be attacked. Uh, who's going to protect them? Who's going to protect them? Um, we're going we're gonna to be in these battles all over the world. The entire globe will be a, a battle because we're not ready for it. We're not prepared for it. We don't have the stomach for it, but our enemies do. Right? So you could see simultaneous things taking place around the world. And in an overnight, the entire globe can change. And there was a time when people didn't do those things because they knew America would step into the breach and would stop it. 
And now, I think they're saying America won't do anything. They can't even shoot down a balloon. So, I don't want to be, uh, I'm not a pessimist, as, as you know who have listened here for a while. I'm a realist, and I'm trying to look at these things the way I would look at them. If I was in charge of things, I would say, hey, what's the calculus? What is going on here? Uh, and what's the potentiality of things happening because of the players on the field? All right, so I think I said, uh, I think I said enough about that. Oh, my gosh. So um, how about some other crazy things? You know, we, we talk about crime, and a lot of you know that I write about crime and I teach about cr- criminal investigation. I do all those kind of things. We recently had... Um, I don't know, I guess it's, it's callousness, it's, it's, a, it's a coarsening of our society, of things that are happening. There was a woman shopping at a Kroger food store. And apparently she was uh, putting groceries in her car. She's standing outside of her car. And uh, a woman drove by, another woman drove the other way. And there, there was some conflict between them, according to witnesses. Uh, and apparently it was about who had the right of way. Who should be, you know, driving past me or not past me or too close, whatever. One of the, one of these stupid arguments that people have, like these road rage idiots uh, that don't like the fact that you ter- turned left in front of them and they're going to start a fight and come after you. Know, you know, these kind of idiots, this mentality of idiocy that we have. Um, so apparently, this woman's loading her groceries. Woman driving by, they have words, um, and the woman who was standing by her car apparently spit at the other woman. Okay, spit at her. That's a horrible, disgusting thing to do, uh, to spit at someone. But the woman in the car who got spit on apparently produced a handgun and shot the other woman in the back and killed her in front of her children in the, sh- in the shopping store parking lot. A 23-year-old girl did the killing. I think a, uh, a 32-year-old woman was the victim. But those children now have no mother. Uh, the, the girl who did the killing is now going to prison probably for the rest of her life. So two lives absolutely ruined because two idiots couldn't control themselves in a parking lot. They had to say things, do things to, to start problems. I blame mostly the person who shot the gun. All right, The woman who spit, eh, that's a provocative thing to do. Maybe you get slapped in the face. Maybe the other person leaves. It wasn't smart to do is my point. A parking space, these arguments are not worth your life. And now we're seeing that more and more, right? We're seeing people... Uh, run up behind somebody, an old man, an old woman, punch them in the back of the head as hard as they can. And people laugh. We see an attack of a little child on a school bus by two much, much bigger kids pummel this young girl, beat her senseless, six-year-old girl. And the other kids are laughing and joking and waving their phones around. The coarseness of our society is another thing that, you know, how do you put that genie back in the bottle? How do we turn this around? How do we change this kind of thing? Well, you're asking Lieutenant Joe, so I'm going to tell you, right? Because I'm a kind of guy that thinks about things. I, I try and figure things out. What would I do? So, you know, when I have the fellows in the neighborhood on, I often uh, will promote somebody in the group to be in charge, either the governor or the, the president, to make decisions. Let's see what people would do if you were in charge. So when I promote myself, uh, I say, okay, what, what, what would I do about the crime in America? Well, the first thing I would do is I would convene the law enforcement community, the leaders of the law enforcement community. I would convene uh, stakeholders in all of our communities. 
And I would say, okay, we have this out of control crime. It's ruining people's lives. People are dying, being injured permanently forever. People are going to prison and say, uh, what I think obviously the root of this is uh, this idea that we need reform, which we do. And you've heard me all say that before. We do need reform in our justice system, but we cannot excuse criminal behavior. We cannot allow criminals to continue. When I, when I talk about the reality of, of what keeps a community safe, uh, aggressive, professional, proactive police work is what keeps a community safe. Having well-trained officers who are out in the street looking for criminal activity, looking for suspicious activity, and acting on it quickly and strongly and applying um, justice to people, taking them into custody, putting them in jail, having them stand to account for what they do. This sends a message, much like the message our president sends by going to Ukraine. It sends the message that uh, crime will not be tolerated. So the purpose of bringing all these people together would be to, to, to have some understanding that our police are going to go out in the street and they're going to aggressively, proactively go after crime. We're also going to say that the police have got to be trained and that we are going to back our police officers uh, unless they do something blatantly, obviously illegal and criminal in the course of enforcing the law. I'm all for that. I was an internal affairs officer, and you got to be held accountable, me included. Everyone has to be held accountable. You do the right thing. The reality is that in fighting crime, you have to understand, we have to come to some consensus that if you have people that do not understand that they have to comply with the law, whether they agree with it or not, that's one of the first steps we have to bring. And we start that just like they start everything else. We start teaching children early on to follow the law. And we do this in every community. The law is what we follow. We follow the rule of the law. We follow the Constitution. It protects you. If somebody does something inappropriate, uh, then they should be held accountable on both sides, right? The, the police, the security, the courts, and the citizenry. So I would convene this group. I would put them together. We would lay down some, some basic understandings. Um, we're, not, uh, we're not going after cops every two seconds. We're not locking them up for doing their job unless they do something blatantly illegal. And that happens once in a while. And those people are usually held to account, and they should be. Uh, but the reality is, enforcing the law is an ugly business. Enforcing the law is not the way people think it is. I would encourage everyone to go on a ride around with the cops in your town. Uh, you who think the cops do nothing, they're out to hate people, they go after people. I would suggest you get in a car and ride around and see what the cops see. Uh, you know, all, all of this, uh, every community is really wonderful. They just want to be left alone. The cops come in and bug everyone. No, they don't. No, they don't. Police are stationed in areas where there's crime to protect the citizens of the neighborhood or the community from the criminals. If you have an area where there is no crime, then you're not going to have a lot of police there. So when you have a lot of police in an area and they see a lot of crime, they're going to take a lot of action, which means they're going to see people doing things that are suspicious and they're going to stop them. They're going to find people carrying guns that shouldn't be carrying guns. You know, the criminals with the guns who don't pay attention to the law. And they will take them into custody. And you know what happens when they want to do that? Lots of times people don't want to be arrested. So they fight with the officers. Now, we've talked many, many times here about the responsibility of citizens and of law enforcement. 
when it comes to enforcing the law. The cops have to do things right. They have to do things properly. Uh, and they have to uh, do what's reasonable, right? That's why in law enforcement, we have a use of force continuum. And I've explained this to you as well. We, we can only do certain things, levels of force, depending on the force that we're encountered. But, but the police are not there to get beat, slapped, kicked, shot, stabbed, murdered, killed because someone doesn't want to comply. That's not why the police are there. The police are there to enforce the law that you and me demand be in place. We want a safe society, so we have laws that tell people you can't rob, re rape, beat, and steal. And if you do that, you'll be held accountable. What we have done now in our modern world is we have displayed weakness to people who will take advantage of us. Just like on the political world, we're seeing world bullies, uh, bad actors, noticing the weakness of America and the Western allies, and they are increasing what they're doing. They're not decreasing it. They're not going, oh, well, everybody can live in peace now. No. Well, crime is the exact same thing. It's the same elements. you got people that will take advantage of the weak, will take advantage of those who can't protect themselves. So as President Joe, I would get this agreement together and I'd say we're going to go in here. We're going to go into all these neighborhoods where there's crime. We're going to follow the Constitution, but we're not going to lock cops up for doing their job just because people scream and holler. If people want to protest... Here's a place to protest. That's where everyone can protest. You have every right to protest. I believe in protest. Uh, but you're not going to burn buildings down. You're not going to loot. You're not going to destroy people. You're not going to throw rocks and bottles. If you do that, you'll be arrested and you'll go to jail. Right? So we can protest, but we can't be violent. And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. People are trying to change the understanding of what, what is violence. Well, burning, looting, bashing people with bricks because you're angry is not really violence. It's expression. And I say, it's not expression. That's violence. And if you get violent, you go to jail. And we keep you in jail away from decent society, right? From people who don't want to be injured. I've worked in many, many kinds of neighborhoods in my career. And one of the things I always saw was that in impoverished neighborhoods, where there is a lot of crime, where there is graffiti, where there are gangs, where all this happens, there are multitudes of good and decent people just trying to live their lives, raise their families as best as they can, and they can't do it because of the crime in the area. And that is not fair to those American citizens, no matter what neighborhood you're from, but especially in the crime-ridden neighborhoods. Now, I saw an experiment uh, that, that proved this point out many years ago, and I might have told you about it, but in a certain part of a city near where I worked, there were open-air drug markets. There were street robberies. There were beatings. There were rapes. There was all kinds of horrible crime going on. Uh, people were shot in their homes. Through, through You sitting there eating your dinner, uh, having a hamburger, and through the window comes a, a 45 slug through the wall because people are fighting out in the street. Children were hit with bullets. Uh, old people were hit with bullets. It, it was horrific. And there was one particular block a long block, but one particular block that was a one-way street, and you could you could go there and you could get anything you wanted. You could buy drugs, you could buy guns, there was prostitutes there. It was the epicenter of the crime throughout the whole city. And the people there initially didn't want all the police around, didn't like it because they were afraid of the nonsense they hear that the cops will kill you just to kill you because they don't like you. That's not how it works. Uh, people can argue that, but that is not really how it works. Um, but when it finally got so bad in this community 
the community got together with the county prosecutor. Uh, was really a, a brilliant move on his part. Uh, he, he was reached out to by the city government, and he heard the pleas for help. They, the police needed help. They were overwhelmed by the crime. They had crime in the police department. Uh, they had some players in there that were not so good. Uh, and the prosecutor said, okay, and he called together all the stakeholders, the religious community. He called all the people in the neighborhoods, and he had meetings, and he said, listen, we're going to come in here and clean this up. If that's what you want, we're going to come in and we're going to fight this crime. We're going to get rid of the drugs, the prostitution. We're going to go after the burglars, the robbers, the rapists. We're going to lock these people up. But we're not coming here to do this, to have everybody uh, losing their minds every time somebody resists and fights with a cop and a cop has to use force to overcome the person. Because remember, cops are not there to lose. They're there to win. Uh, we can only use the next level. Of, of force. We can't go, uh, you want a fist fight? I can't pull a gun and shoot you. That would be illegal. That's wrong. And I wouldn't suggest anyone do that. But if you're going to swing at me, I have a baton. I can use the baton. Next level of force to stop you from hitting me, right? And if that ends up breaking your arm, well, then you shouldn't have been swinging on the cop. That's pretty much how that always worked in the past. You knew if you swung on a cop, you were probably going to lose because three cops might fight with you and you're definitely going to lose. So you didn't fight. You surrendered. Now you get an attorney, you go to court, you fight the charges. I don't agree. I shouldn't have been arrested. And maybe you win in court if you really didn't do anything you deserve to get arrested for. But if somebody pulls out a knife, now an officer doesn't have to get stabbed, doesn't have to pull out a knife and, and, and get into a sword fight with this person. No, you pull out a gun and you defend yourself. So law enforcement, the con use of continuum, the continuum of force says you can go one step higher than what's being presented to you. Now that's the rules. You can't go six steps higher, one step higher. Um, you might go there immediately. I roll up on somebody and they turn around, they pull a gun. I can pull a gun and shoot them, right? That's the use of force continuum. You've got to match what's in front of you and you can go one step higher. So I hope everybody understands that now. Our police are not there to get beat, stabbed, shot, and killed. They're there to enforce the laws and keep you safe in your neighborhood, a decent place to live. So this prosecutor got together with all of these uh, players in the communities, uh, the, the government, the police department, and he said, we'll come in. But we're gonna we're gonna come in and we're gonna clean the place up and we're not gonna we're not gonna entertain uh, every third person screaming and hollering that they didn't like how somebody got arrested. At the same time, of course, he didn't mean the cops would just go wild and hurt people. He meant they were gonna be aggressive, proactive police work. Uh, and the community was so upset with all the crime, they said yes, yes, we we want this. We can't live like this anymore. Our children are getting killed sitting on their front porch. So the prosecutor put together a strike force put together a team of officers from multiple cities and towns to come in and help. And everybody went in there and went right down this main street and made arrests. Open-air drug dealing, they sent undercovers down there who would then say, hey, those three guys on the corner just sold me cocaine, sold me crack, sold me whatever. And another team would come rushing right down behind the street, jump out, and lock everybody up. We had people uh, in the community watching this and applauding the police officers locking up these criminals. Well, this went on, uh, they, there was like two-month campaign, and they went after everything, every kind of crime you can imagine. Uh, they took a month off, uh, give everybody a break because the officers were working 24-7. Uh, crime inched back up a little. The team went back in for a couple of months. And long and short of it is, is after a year of continued, aggressive, uh, proactive police work, the level of violence went way down in the community. 
the criminals, who usually about 15 to 20 percent of the population in, in the entire country, are the criminals among us uh, from every community. Uh, and if you get them off the street, your crime comes down, which is exactly why you see in places like New York and other, other woke cities where they're saying, no bail, let everybody out, no matter what they've done, that the crime is going crazy because the people that commit the crime just keep committing more crime. They don't stop committing crime when they're allowed to commit crime. They commit more crime and they get more emboldened and they do worse and worse things. So if we separate that 15 to 20 percent of the population that commits most of our crime from the rest of us by putting them in jail, uh, then crime goes down. Neighborhoods become safer. People can live their lives in every community. Right. And I always saw that when I saw the communities that were really devastated by this crime and you meet the victims, they're good and decent people who just want to live a normal life. They want their kids to be able to walk up the street and go to school and not get uh, uh, abducted, shot, stabbed, robbed, sold drugs. It's it's a very simple, simple process. So there I am. I'm in charge. And that's exactly what I would do here. I'd call everyone together and say, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and. Uh, I would ask everyone to please vote the right way at your next election. If you have politicians that want to be soft on crime, let criminals kill you, rape you, rob you, burn your house down, do all that stuff, uh, I would ask you to vote for someone who's going to say no. No to that. We don't want that anymore. We want those responsible for violence and crime to be held accountable. So there you go. That would be uh, President Joe. That's what I would do. All right. So I want to thank everybody for being out there. I appreciate it. I was a little wound up today. Uh, like I said, we'll have the boys in the neighborhood uh, on in a, in, a, in a very short period of time. Uh, they'll be joining us again. Uh, I, want, I do want to tell you uh, real quick about Healthy Cell because I started to get a cold last week. And I told you this happens every time. I start to get a cold. I grabbed my Healthy Cell immune boost. Boom, boom. A couple days, gone. Not even a couple days. Probably by the next day, gone. Uh, and the only thing I can attribute it to is Healthy Cell. So go take a look. Listen, I appreciate you being here. Listen to the rest of the station. America Out Loud is is got excellent programs. Uh, so thanks, for everybody, for being here. And remember, as we say each and every time here on Chasing Justice, uh, be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Making our world better means getting involved in the decision-making. Think about what you want in your world. So start looking at your front door. What's going on out your front door? What needs to change there and be a part of the change? Then look at your town. Then look at your country and see what can we do because there's a lot of things coming down the pike that don't look good right now. That's not being pessimistic. That's being realistic. And we can change this. We are America. We all need to be together on the same page once again. And I hope we can certainly do that. So until we meet again. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network.